Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please write and review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou. I uh, am borrowing Blake Murphy's headphones for the day. So, Blake, I'm sorry if they're permanently outstretched forever after this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, how you doing, man? Thanks for lending me your headphones as uh it is crazy. My headphones today. are doing the JaVale McGee two net dunk right now. <laughs> that's that's what's going on here. Is they're just spread out wingspan. Uh, uh, we're gonna see how, how much they survive this. I got bad head head going on. I'm gonna throw a hat on next time cameras off me. Oh man. So yeah. man, great haircut by the way. I know the headphones Thank are covering you. up most of it. Thank you. Yeah, shouts to uh shouts to BJ at uh Hollow Ground, you know. Um and yeah, I mean, again, this is why I wear wired headphones. <laughs> I understand. It's probably why I should also wear contacts instead of glasses as well. Anyway, no, you look good, man. Don't oh, worry thank about you, it. thank you. I am. Um, I do like. I fear for my my family though. But I fear <laughs> for my headphones. That's uh. Yo, I want you to put yeah. these headphones on after the show. Yeah. After I've worn them for two hours, I want to. I want you to see the tensile strength. Okay. Um. Speaking so, of getting absolutely dominated, like oh, my headphones are right now, uh, Raptors lost last night. Oh man. Okay. So yeah, one thirty-eight to 100 for the Pelicans. Um, when the Raptors finally mercifully hit 100 points at uh, the end of the game, my mind immediately went to, does that mean we get free pizza pizza? Because we're back to those days. Like, we are firmly back to those days. Raptors, no chance. Down 10 to 2 to start. Darko calls the first time out. Doesn't really do anything. Uh, they're down big the whole entire time. Brandon Ingram goes off. Pretty much every Pelican put in a highlight in that game. I couldn't believe they were throwing lobs to Cody Zeller. This is all expressed in the uh, React pod. It's also like, I yeah. know he he only shot two of seven, but it was like, that's Najee Marshall's full YouTube mix now, is last <laughs> night. Yeah. Like those, the handful of assists he got. It, I know we had a lot of turnovers too, but like, that's it. That's that's Najee Marshall's yeah. whole bag is that game. No, man, Jalen McDaniels is going to be on a lot of Najee Marshall YouTube mixes, man. You want to start with McDaniels? Where do you want to start with this? Because I already talked about this game. Where do you want to start with yeah, the game from, from um, last night? The positive, Grady Dick, or the negative, Jalen McDaniels? I'm a little more leaning toward the negative. And, like, look, Jalen McDaniels was not the only negative here. He didn't even come in, basically, until the game was – I mean, he – Shouldn't have come in at all. Yeah, but he played the whole fourth quarter, and it was the quickest I've ever seen someone rack up four turnovers and three fouls. <laughs> I'm not I'm, – and, like, yeah. the turnovers were completely avoidable, completely careless. And, like, I, I feel like I've done an okay job expressing disappointment with Jalen McDaniels this year, having come into the season with – not high expectations, but like it didn't seem like that bad a deal when they signed it. He was solid in Charlotte. He was really good in a small sample for Philly down the stretch last year. He was like Philly's one of their trade deadline acquisitions. Like, like this is a guy who other teams thought was good and wanted to trade pieces for. The deal seemed completely reasonable um, for a guy this young to just like not only I, I guess he's 26, so he's not even that young anymore. But the the drop off this year has been pretty dramatic. And I know sometimes that's like okay, well, a guy came into a situation where he was an odd fit. He didn't know his role. He couldn't find his footing or whatever. We're like 50 games in now, and and it's been a minute since he flashed some good stuff. It's It's been tough. Uh, that was just, like, unacceptable on any level, what he did. And, and, I, and I get it. It was like a 30-point blowout in the fourth quarter. But the type of mistakes, the elementary type of mistakes, the fact that he, like, was taking it one-on-one so many times as well, um... The fact that he allowed Alvarado to to sneak in from behind for those steals, like, dude, like, look, it's already garbage time. The least you can do is just like get it through, you know, go get come through with a little bit of pride. Mm-hmm. He was way, opportunities where 
he was getting dunked on or he was ducking out of the ways for dunks too. It was just pretty bad. Obviously, that wasn't the reason why the Raptors lost. But um, yeah, I mean, at least you would like to see like what Chris did in, in the fourth quarter or what Jordan Noir did in the fourth quarter. What pretty much anyone, Grady hit some shots in the fourth too. So And the, yeah, and like none of these guys had perfect stints. But yeah, Boucher had 11 and six with a block yeah. in his 12 minutes of garbage time. McDaniel- He's going to start and end his Raptor career with the same thing. Third unit productive third unit minutes by the way I, I looked this up last night because there was nothing else to do in the fourth quarter yeah chris boucher now in all-time raptors bench points okay has 41 percent more bench points than the person who's in second place really which is terrence ross wow he's like, got over 2700 career points off the bench for the raptors and t ross is next at like 1800 something like this is of all of raptors all time history wow and even if you wanted to include the playoffs, then Patrick mm-hmm. Patterson gets a big bump or whatever. Boucher's still lapping everything. Patrick Patterson got points in the playoffs? Yeah, apparently. It's this news to me. <laughs> he bumps the number two if you include the playoffs. Um, One of my favorite stats is uh, I went to game four against uh, the Cavs in 2017. Okay. The first sweep of two, Oof. right? And I, I, I bought tickets in advance. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have chosen to go to game four. And we started Damari Carroll and Patrick Patterson, and they literally combined for eight points. Sick. And I was just like... Uh, you know, I was out on it after that point. Yeah. Anyway, that's great. Yeah, you know this was a bad game last night when we're already reliving bad 2017 memories. Uh, last thought on McDaniel's is just like, like I do think this is indicative of something that's irked me about this team generally, which is this should be at this point in the season a team that is very hungry mm-hmm. and a team with a lot of guys who either have something to prove because Emmanuel quickly wants to prove the Raptors were right to bet on him and he should have had a bigger role and he said it for RFA. Scotty should want to prove that, yes, he's the number one I actually thought Scotty was solid last night. It was yeah. he know. had a really difficult job of toggling between Zion, Ingram, and JV. Like, yeah. and look, yeah. I'm I'm not sure like prime Kawhi slows down Ingram in the third quarter last night. Yeah, I mean he was, he was hitting, hitting everything. One. Remember the one where Yak rotated over and contested him like as much as you can, seven footer everything. He's falling backwards. He's literally getting fouled by Jakob, and it's still a perfect swish. Like. Yeah. The level of offensive talent, the differential between the two sides was just kind of nuts. And and to me, it was like, look, the Pelicans are a good team. They're like seven, eight games above 500 now. They're in the playing picture in the West. Um, even compared to that level of a team, the Raptors didn't have anything close to the firepower. Like CJ would have been the best score for the Raptors last night. Ingram would have been the best score. Zion would have been the best score. Yeah. And that does concern me because like, I know it's the second half of back-to-back, the Raptors did play poorly, whatever, but... The, the level of talent disparity between the two sides was, like, the biggest shock to me. Yeah, like, Trey Murphy had a bad game and still looked like the best player yeah. on the floor at some points when, like, Zion and Ingram yeah. were sitting. It, it, it was tough. And we know I'm fond of Trey Murphy, but yeah, not sure. the best. So, I, I think, you know, the so, again, where I was going with that is just, like, that lack of compete level up and down the roster right now. And, like, we saw from Grady and Boucher and a little bit from Wara last night, fine. But, like, this is not a team that should based on where they are and based on where all these guys are individually in their career, they can't be coming out and having this poor performance out of the gate. Like, it's it's yeah. inexcusable even with a talent gap. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I thought, with respect to what you're saying about, like, yeah, well, this is a Pelicans team that's only a play and level team in the West. That's how big the gap is. Do you not watch this Pelicans team? And a- anytime I watch it, like, Zion only took eight field goal attempts to play 22 minutes last night. Like, yeah. they, they have an even higher upside if they maximize here. Don't you think the Pelicans should be better than this? I think they need a distributor more than anything else. Yeah. Um, because they have CJ running point, like three yeah, assists I mean, last night. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think they definitely need a natural distributor with the group. But they have a lot of really great pieces. Zion obviously is his own wild card onto itself. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think maybe a defensive center might also help in a way, just because I oh. there's a ceiling with JV teams. You this know, is, for not people to, who don't not know, to spark JV Hive. Will invented JV Hive. <laughs> I still have the email oh, from yeah. the first piece Will ever wrote for Raptors Republic. Hey, can I put uh-huh. this up? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this piece? It, it created JV Hive. So I, don't I'm, don't turn your back on your boy. I've been long enough to to have inflamed JV Hive and now Scotty Hive. So. Yeah. You know, it's uh, a damn. I've been around for a while, but um, they, they need a. So the Pelicans need a defensive-oriented center and a distributor. Jakob and Dennis Schroeder for all their young guys. Well, uh, Jakob looked good last night. Yeah, you want to talk about did. that? I mean, Jakob. So obviously, the first game against Houston was really, really bad. Yeah. He ends up fouling out in 20 minutes. Two games since he's missed two shots. Yeah. Like he's, I think, 15 for 17. Yeah. Um, and he's been pretty solid defensively. I mean, it wasn't enough to slow down the Pelicans, but. Still, I thought he, he tried his best. Did you like the idea of him guarding Zion? Yeah, I thought it was fine. We've, we, Oren had mentioned it, that we've seen some teams do that, uh, center on, on Zion, and then have someone else guard JV. That way, you know, if it's a McCollum pick and roll, if, it, mm-hmm. if it's an Ingram pick and roll, you have some switchability there. Sure. And then, uh, you know, Zion's not generally spacing out to above the break. So your your center who's on Zion can still provide a little bit of help from there. The risk is always, well, then Zion's lurking in the dunker. And if that center has to help over, mm-hmm. you're going to get yammed on re- relentlessly. It really only came up the one time, and it was when Zion kind of attacked out of the corner and had that like crazy Barkley finish yeah. along the baseline. They did a good job holding him to only eight field goal attempts uh, generally. So I, I thought it was... Fine. I thought Ingram was the the primary problem. I also thought New Orleans does some, despite the lack of, of natural distributing, they do some clever stuff around Zion with just how they, like, obviously there's nobody in the league who's not going to need help when Zion's guarding them. Yep. But the Pelicans do a good job of spacing uh, vertically. Mm-hmm. So, like, normally we think, I think we think a lot of spacing as horizontally, right? Like, get a, guy, get a guy in the weak side corner, make sure that the help has to come very far. But the Pelicans, when they go to Zion in the post, a lot of the times they'll have, like, four above the break or three yeah. above the break and someone not all the way low so that you can't have that, like, baseline help come over. You're, you're, everyone has to be from kind of the free throw line and above. Um, it didn't come up a ton, again, because Zion just, they didn't have to run a lot through Zion yesterday. Um, but I came away... More encouraged by the Pelicans. I, I think I've been kind of a Pelicans downer this year despite liking a lot of their talent because it just doesn't look as good as I think it should mm-hmm. when I tune in. And, like, the Zion at center lineups haven't looked yeah. all that great and stuff. But I came away yesterday being like, man, this team can really cook offensively and there should be a higher gear here. I don't think they're that far away. Like, um, I look at almost like in the way where Minnesota, like, went up a level of seriousness mm-hmm. when they got Mike Conley. Like, even a Mike Conley-level distributor who set the table, yeah. get everyone involved, organized, would be good. Like, this will be a good Kyle Lowry team, for example. Yeah. If uh, he were to look in that direction, which I don't think he would, but they're only 13th in offense, that feels inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, in the players that they have there, Zion is infamously unreliable. Yeah. too, but that's that's only part of it. He's actually having a relatively healthy season. I also but, just love yeah. Ingram, bro. How could you not love Ingram at the end there? It's like, like the prettiest. Like I, I understand that. Like we've done the thing over the years mm-hmm. about mid-range shooting and stuff like that, but he's got like some of the prettiest moves to get into that mid-range package, and he's like. Like, very good at it. Like, to yeah. the point oh, yeah. where, like, you would never complain about the shot diet for um, for Brandon Ingram, despite it being, like, an inefficient shot diet generally. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so good at getting to his mid-range spots and getting those shots off. It's like, it's, it's like I, I know KD is the common comp for him. Like, he's a poor man's KD. It also kind of reminds me of, like, playoff Kawhi and how Kawhi's been playing lately, where, like, even if it doesn't look like he's going to beat you to that spot and get the shot off, he can still get it off no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's just that that quick up. 
And then Ingram's obviously got the the length on top of it. So maybe I, I just also really want to talk about Kawhi today. <laughs> no, well, trust me, we'll get lots of Kawhi talk later on. But um, the funny thing is, you know, there was that graph that went around recently of like highest release point in the league, right? Like, what's the height of the ball when it's getting shot? Mm-hmm. And obviously, KD was close to the top, and Wemby currently is number one. Like, Ingram must be like number three. In yeah. the league, in terms of just high, like I don't even know how he's supposed to contest it again. Jakoperto fully outstretched, trying to contest, ends up fouling him, and he still switches the shot. I like that. At least Dennis Shooter was at the very end. He's like, okay, five threes is enough. The crowd is all standing up. Everyone's cheering. We're down thirty. I'm gonna take it upon myself to make sure that Ingram can't get this final shot off, um, because they were desperately trying to yeah. work dribble handoffs to get back to him, and I think he actually got the block, but. Aside from that, that was the only moment a defense played. Uh, <laughs> Grady Dick scored a career high twenty two points. Last night, um, yeah, Grady's turned the corner since coming back. So, yeah. what did you see from Grady at least? Yeah, I think it's good, man. You're starting to see some of the uh, some of the off ball stuff that you know. Obviously, he's going to need to hit shots, right? Like that's that's it. That's what's his bread and butter in the NBA. But the difference between you being just a state a spot up shooter mm-hmm. and having a little more to your game to where you were a lottery pick yeah. is some of that off ball stuff. Some of the being able to work as a screener. And then after you set the screen, get into something. To be able to pump fake out of the corner and get into something base, like keep your defender on your hip mm-hmm. as you attack. I think that was against Najee Marshall too, actually. Yeah, yeah. To kind of pump fake out of the corner and, yep. and then get him on the hip for the for the little sh- uh, short corner shot. Um, those are the kind of things. He, he has some passing verve too that we've mostly only seen sure. in transition. But if the Raptors develop, you know, have more space in the, the Lions generate or he starts playing a little bit more with the starters, you'll see that come to life. I've just been, I've been encouraged that... Again, the shot is the most important thing, but how quickly the shot being back a little bit, and we talked about this early in the season where even though his shot wasn't dropping in the first couple games, he did a lot of this off-ball stuff. He did a lot of the movement stuff that at least helps your team. Like there's a gravity to you, even if your shots aren't dropping. And then when the shots weren't going down, the confidence seemed to fall apart where like it was a lot of pump faking when you don't need to pump fake, Mm -hmm. pump fake, step into a floater range shot that you don't have in your package yet or travel or something, force a bad pass because you don't, you know, trust your ability to sidestep for a three or something like that. And then we saw a lot of that with the 905 where like, yeah, there was no point guard down there at that that time either. It was awkward, but I'm, I'm a little... I'm a little surprised and very encouraged at how quickly it's come back yeah. at the NBA level, given where he last was when I saw him at 905, which was it was improving, but he didn't look ready for the NBA yet. Yeah, I mean, to make the comparison, like, at the same age, when we when I did this number with you, but, like, he was shooting worse from three at the same age compared to Bruno in, in the G League, which is obviously, like, he's a much better shooter than Bruno. I'm just, my point is that he was really struggling with everything. For him to come back and bounce back this way is really promising. I think, number one, for him to score twice on baseline out-of-bound plays, mm-hmm. that's going to be huge for him as a movement shooter. They should look for him a lot on those instances, and that's something where he can find a way to get his rhythm. I think number two is just like, um, because he established himself as a shooter, some of those up fakes, you know, step through, finish at the basket, just open up a little bit more in his game. Um, and I think the number three is just like, you know, what I guess the only upside to a game like last night is like you can play free. Now, you can play free like McDaniels and take a 3-0-1 <laughs> pull-up three. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the other way of playing free is, like, especially as a shooter, you know, um, you get to take as many shots as you really want, be more, like, selective with it. You don't have to hunt it every single time. And, yeah, I was really happy for Grady to to break out. Um, I thought he was he sounded really mature in the postgame, too. Mm-hmm. He, like, didn't really want to take any celebration of it. He's just like, look, we lost. Today. Yeah. 
Um, it's tough. And like he's, he's, he's coming, like a, his head is on straight. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, look, it's been, it, it has, there's no way it hasn't been a bit of a humbling first pro year for him. Like, like yeah, we talked course. about it when he first went down to the G league. Like I, I basically asked him like, you know, is your, how is your confidence? He's like, I haven't had a cold streak since I was like a child. Like I'm not worried about my jumper. But as that extent, that was at the start of the G League. Then you're talking about a month later, you're still in the G League, and then like you're pulled out of games for this conditioning program. Um, you know, I, I don't think it has. I don't think you have a choice but to let that humble you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's really seen how much work he has to put in. He's also probably, you know, it's it's probably front of mind that in his third game of his career, he got 16 points in in a close game against the Sixers, yeah. and then very shortly after that, he was in the G league because things came apart. Mm -hmm. So I I wonder too, if that's fresh for him that, Hey, this, this only lasts as long as you're playing this. Well, I also thought it was really good to see that from him a night after in a double overtime game, he only played 10 minutes and he was good in in the first half. He just never saw any time the rest of the Yeah. He, I was just a little worried that maybe, you know, he had the Chicago game where he played a little bit more, but didn't get on the board. He only took one shot in 20 minutes in that game. And then the Houston game was not a very good game for him. And then, okay, against OKC, you barely play. You know, where's the confidence level at? Sure, where, you, yeah. Where's your readiness sure. level at? Um, so I thought I thought that was good. And, yeah, I'm with you. Like, the, the after the game, immediately going to the, yeah, well, we lost. Like, mm-hmm. like what, that, that's, you You want guys to say the right things and feel the right way about those things. So those are, uh, those are good. Were there any other positives from the game for you? Nah. Honestly, Yak and Grady, that was it. You know. Yeah, and I thought, you look, if that's the last we see of Boucher, that's a good way to close yeah. it out. I'm not saying that's happening for sure, but... Uh, it does feel like a full circle kind of thing, because yeah. that's how he used to always break out, was in those, like, garbage time moments. And by the way, the Raptors were the ones delivering these type of blowouts to <laughs> other teams. But they would put the third stringers in, and Chris would come in, and he would actually be very productive. And he would always get his Boucher three in, which was <laughs> a thing back in the day. Um, so last night there was a lot of talk about, okay, are the Raptors going to give up the most ever points that they give up? Cause I think the record is 146 points yep. allowed. Um, oh no, sorry. Uh, the, the, were they going to lose by the biggest margin? I think the biggest margin is like 46 points. Yes. I'm I'll, I'll double check this yeah. while you're setting this up, but I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll I think check. I saw it from Kareen or Keeks, one of those two, maybe both of them. And it got me thinking, hold on. This is a pretty bad loss. Raptors losing 138 to 100, but is this even a top five loss? Of just this season, forget like the franchise record of losing. I think forty six points, right? Um, um, one fifty two is the most they've given up. Okay, that was two. Oh, this one came up because against Utah they gave up one forty five. Yes, and it yes. was the third most ever. Yes, uh, yeah, I think it's forty six or forty eight is the the uh, the worst blowout ever. Either way, not good. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, this is a bad blowout, but it's not even. It might 46. not even be a a. a top five loss just of this year alone so i presented and gathered uh some of the losses and i've just put them into four different buckets yeah and i'll just present them real quickly there's the heartbreaker bucket so this one are games where you actually had expectation and you lost it in some way so for example uh earlier this week okc when they lost on sunday blowing a 23 point lead double overtime multiple chances to win it at the end of regulation and overtime and then, of course, the conversation about Scotty afterwards. That was a heartbreaker for me. The Chicago loss. This is game two of the season. You remember this one where they were up 17 midway through the third quarter. OG ends up fouling out. Jakob ends up fouling out of that game. Uh, a bunch of missed free throws down the stretch opens the door for Chicago to come back. You have uh, Chris Boucher jumping at a couple of uh, DeMar DeRozan pump fakes. Mm-hmm. Then you got Scotty with a turnover, Pascal with a turnover, and Alex Caruso hitting the game-winning three. Well, the, the Pascal turnover was the Caruso offensive foul? 
Yes. On the inbound? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that's another heartbreaker category. The Lakers loss. All I got to say is this is shame. 23 to 1 free throw disparities. Right? The Darko rant. They lose that game by one point. Uh, the Anthony Davis moving screen on RJ Barrett. Scotty Barnes is an all-star. Oh. Wow. Okay. Nice. That's, well, congrats. Congrats cool. to Scotty Barnes. Okay, we will pivot, I guess, in the second section. But congrats to Scotty. This is awesome. Yeah, uh, uh, um, NBA Communications just announcing right now that Toronto Scotty Barnes and Atlanta's Trey Young have been named by Adam Silver as injury replacements on the Eastern Conference team wow. for the All-Star game. They will replace Joel Embiid and Julius Randle. So we will actually have one All-Star at the game. Like yeah. the Scotty whole Barnes and, and oh. All-Star. Yeah, we'll, oh, Darko was right. <laughs> uh, we'll see about Marquis Noel, who we still don't know. But uh-huh. uh, yeah. Okay, well, congrats to Scotty. That's awesome. Anyway, yeah. that was a Lakers loss. Um, the Utah loss was also pretty tough. They're up 17 yeah. with five left in the third quarter. Common theme. They lose the fourth quarter 41 to 21. Jordan Clarkson outscores everybody on the Raptors, basically. And, uh, and talks his talk, yeah. like, all through the end of that game. Mm-hmm. And worst part, it was my birthday as well. That's a tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one. The bright side this year, they won't have an embarrassing... They have had a lot of embarrassing losses on my birthday. Uh, they're not making it to early May this year. So oh, we're, no we're clear. For, we're clear. For Blake. Um, okay, if you had a worse heartbreaker loss, you had to pick between the four. So the OKC loss, the Chicago yeah. loss, Lakers loss, Utah loss. Utah one is the worst for me. Oh, okay, um, interesting. The I, I think the Lakers one is eased by just like... That was such a good Darko mm-hmm. moment. And like it was actually a rare kind of like unifying moment for the fan base this year yeah. where like everyone was on the same page. So like the loss sucked. But I think the Utah won A because like Utah was not this yet, right? Like they were still in the early stages of this. They were coming off of mm-hmm. barely beating Detroit and they were down Clarkson and Markin in that game. Yes, but yes. I remember tweeting when the Raptors were up big in that game, like how did Detroit lose this team without Markin and without Clarkson? Olenek. Yeah, without, without Olenek as well. So um, no, he was the one who balled out. Then. Oh, that, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah he had uh, eight assists, I think. Um, so um, that is uh, that was the one for me that not only did that seem like a really bad loss in the moment, blowing that lead against a Utah team that hadn't figured it out yet, but to me, that was the moment where if you had any belief remaining that this was a good team that just hadn't played well yet, the meaning the Raptors, I think you had to let it go at that point. So that's that's a tough one because that was a that was a like overall feeling changer if you were holding on to a little bit of the hope still. Okay, so that's the worst heartbreaker one. I think so. I have Do another. You, what one. is yours? Uh, that Chicago loss is pretty bad. <laughs> It was Remember just, when Dennis came on the show and he's like, that's one of the worst losses of my career. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I've never emotional had... Emotional damage. Yo, that was actually emotional damage because it was also a repeat of the playing game, which I think was also the, yes. the part that sucked. Um, and it also, like, like, to make everything about us, obviously, mm-hmm. um, while they were winning late in that game, and I don't I don't usually start writing until the game's over because you just never know, yeah. but I had a good idea for a good lead, and I wrote a really good lead for if they won that game, and... It got scrapped, so I also lost that. What was the lead? You it was remember? it was basically like a kind of more like psychological thing about no matter how much we want to change and no matter how much we have the best intentions, like when yeah. the chips are down mm. and you really need to pull out a win or you really need, you know, whether in basketball or otherwise, yeah. you're going to rely on what you know works and what you trust the most because that was the game where yes. the Raptors, when they were in trouble, started spamming whoever Kobe White is guarding. We're getting that switch yep. and we're going in the post. Scotty did it, Pascal did it, OG did it, yep. um, whether to score or to pass. 
Um, so I kind of crafted around that and a little bit of like, I doubt they're actually going to stick to, mm-hmm. you know, the system when the game is on the line. But uh, anyway, it all got scrapped for this game was silly. That game was so silly. Okay. Yeah. The second category, straight up sad losses. Okay. Yeah. Ones that are just like, you don't really have that much, in, you know, expectation going into it and they still disappoint you. Right. So the Brooklyn loss, um, they were tied 94 all at the four minute mark. The Raptors end up losing by 12. <laughs> They score one bucket in the last four minutes. Have you watched Hard. that Brooklyn team since? Yeah, that Brooklyn team sucks. That's, that's their the signature win of the season. Yeah. Like, that's their only God. highlight. Russell really. O'Neal knocks down like six threes or uh, something like that. The Charlotte loss. So they were down 38 to 22 after the first quarter to the Charlotte Hornets. They fight back. They actually take the lead in the fourth quarter. They lose the lead. They're down three. Scotty gets a generous foul call. Um, from Terry Rozier, who ended up stepping into his landing space or something like that. He goes to the foul line. Again, down three, first free throw, misses it. And it's immediately game over. He makes the other two, but the Raptors can't come back. They lose to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the Boston Celtics loss. There's multiple. There's three of these now, but uh, maybe four of these. There might be four Boston Celtics losses already. Wow, they swept us in half a season. They're not winning in the Atlantic Division. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the Boston loss, though. Um, this one was no Tatum. No Porzingis, no Horford, all at home. They started Sam Hauser and Luke Cornett against the Raptors. And they also played what uh, Jared Weiss called the White and the Whites lineup, which was Derek, Derek White, White and plus, you know, Peyton Pritchard, Seema High Luke, um, Luke Cornett, and Sam, Sam Hauser. Hauser. Yeah. Uh, was the, this this was the Scotty can't sub back in game? No, this is a, oh, different, that was a different one. That's a different, okay. that's a different Boston loss. There's uh, so many. But this one, the Raptors fight back. They actually fight back all the way because McDaniels, of all people, came up strong in right. the fourth quarter. Scotty and Pascal carried them the whole entire game. They get to a tie game on the last possession. OJ Anobi gambles for a pass guarding Jalen Brown. He doesn't get the steal. Brown gets downhill, throws a lob to Luke Cornett. Game over. Right? This was a bad one. And then this one I just have aggregated all three into one. The three <laughs> Philadelphia losses, part one, two, and three. Because Patrick Beverly literally came out unprompted and said the Raptors got no dogs, played the Raptors afterwards, after beating the Raptors, said, again, no dogs. Then he told the story about how Dennis Schroeder came up to him a little bit or Scotty bumped him on the shoulder. And he's like, again, y'all don't have no dogs. And the Raptors lost them for a third time this season. So we'll see if the Raptors beat Philadelphia last week of the season this year. But uh, yeah, the dogless Raptors. Yeah. Any of these straight up sad ones stand out to you? Charlotte's the worst one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, They're just so bad. Y- you know how I feel about Terry Rozier. Yeah. Being on the wrong end of a Terry Rozier closeout, just, it's not good. Like, I, I guess in a season like this, like, the Boston and Philly losses aren't great, and mm-hmm. the, the no dogs thing sucks, but, like, they're not yeah. in the class of those teams. I'm not going to get too upset at those losses. But Charlotte punking you? Yo, like, like I just, Charlotte, I picked the two games where Jordan Clarkson quarter, and Terry Rozier punked you. Like, I got you. Yeah. Let me, gi- let me give you a little preview of what the other <laughs> picks are going to be. If there are any games where players shame. like that punked you. Yeah. yeah this the, is the, this is the shame segment. There was one. Didn't Grayson Allen do it to them too? Uh, Wasn't he talking his talk? Was he? Oh, we beat Phoenix the one time we played them. Yeah. Yeah. But Grayson Allen was doing a lot of. Grayson Allen was no Luke Kennard. Luke, oh I'm, my I'm god, I'm mixing up my. That's uh, a pretty good one. Yes, yeah. yes. Losing to the Grizzlies at home, that one's really good. That was pretty good. Is that in here anywhere? Is that no? The, I no? actually okay. I, that one. You know what? That's a late addition. <laughs> that was like one. the the Memphis hustle beat you, and Luke Kennard yeah. had Luke a, Kennard, a superstar. Jaron Jackson Jr. had like six steals in the first <laughs> quarter. Mixing up, <laughs> mixing up Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen is so bad. You know what? 
Uh, Again, white in the whites lineup. And then the third category is no-shows. So just real quickly, Utah, the second one where they lost on the road, last game of the road trip, yeah. gave up 145 points, lost 145 to 113, gave up 81 points in the second half. The Houston loss that just came this past weekend allowed 84 points in the paint to the Houston Rockets, lost 135 to 106 in the first meeting with Fred since the exit. Uh, the New York Knicks loss is the first meeting with OG since OG uh, uh, was traded. They lost 126 to 100. We're not competitive at all throughout the game. The worst part about this, Precious Achua shoots 9 for 10 for a, a, an immense double-double against the Raptors. And has really launched, that game alone launched Precious Achua's career with the Knicks because now he's actually pretty entrenched and getting pretty good performances for them. But And then the final one, uh, the Raptors lose to the Celtics 117 to 94, which doesn't even sound that bad, but the Raptors lost all four quarters, fully healthy, and still only scored 94 points. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you got a favorite no-show? I think it's Utah again, man. <laughs> There's something about the Utah Jazz when you see Simone yeah. Fantecchio. Yeah, late, yeah, I guess late road trip and stuff like that. I know. Whatever. But... All of these ones are just like... Dude, they're all... They're, there's, the fact that there's so many of these... Like the Pelicans yeah. loss should very much be in this list. Yeah, too. and I, I just yeah. like... I get it. You're not a good team. And, and at, at some points when you're not a good team, you're going to have those games. Mm -hmm. But they've been too common for a team that, again, should be very hungry. Yeah, they should be very hungry. Well, last last category is just called losing to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that one somehow doesn't seem that really? bad. Oh, I lost that, my mind after seeing that one. No, man. it was. I think I just like like Alex had been marking it on the calendar for us for weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the trade happened. Uh huh. And then it's just like it. It, it was just a perfect felt storm. So obvious yeah. that it was going to happen. That game was just so sad to me, man. Um, Pascal trying his very best and and going off in the third quarter and. It, it it just Kevin Knox banking a whole bunch of jumpers. The Pelicans, or, or, Knox. The, the the Pistons made every mistake possible down the stretch. Do you remember how many steals were in the last minute of the game, and they still lose that one. So yeah, they uh, snapped the NBA record of twenty eight games straight of losing. Yeah, that's a uh, it's a lot of bad losses this year, man. I think the Utah collapse one is is my worst loss of the year. Like okay. the one that hurt, that not hurt because like I'm not. You know, I didn't think this team was going to win a championship, yeah, yeah. but the one where it was like the most reality check. Oh yeah, of the of the losses. Yeah, for like, sure. Like losing to Boston and Philly a bunch of times was not news to me. Right. Maybe, I don't know. Do you feel differently? What's your like? What what's your top three worst ones? Uh, I answered all these. I, I know that you listed yeah. them. You that's your part of the activity, but I think losing to Detroit is still my worst one. I don't really care. Okay. Man. Like I it doesn't like. Come on. It, historically, it's gonna look real weird. That that loss is so bad because the Pistons lost like six or seven straight games after that win. So <laughs> the Raptors were the only thing keeping them from like a 35, 36 game losing streak or something like that. Like it would have been incredible. Um, that was just embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, some of these reunion ones are pretty embarrassing to me. Like you're seeing Fred again. And this is what you look like. Again, when you see your when you run into your ex, which actually happened to me over the weekend, by really? the way. <laughs> yeah. When you Damn. run into your ex, you hope that like you're wearing a good outfit, like yeah. you know, you're in a good space, whatever. Um like you running to Houston looking like that is like you like were out in sweatpants getting milk from the corner yeah. store and they're like, Oh, there she is. Yeah. You're uh, you're look... fresh from a reaction pod <laughs> yelling about Luke Kennard. <laughs> Jacob Gilliard! That's why they're next. And she's like, oh, nothing's <laughs> changed. Nothing's, nothing's changed. Uh, the next one is also bad for the same reason. Yeah. It's like we're seeing OG again. We're trying to compete against them, and it's like not even close. And guess what? The two sides. Fred's here Friday. Pascal's here next Wednesday. Yeah. We also there's a bunch of Clippers losses in here too. Um, 
Yeah, it's 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 been tough, man. So I think the biggest takeaway from here is there have been a lot of bad losses. Yeah. And you just mentioned there were a bunch of no-shows. There were some games where they got behind big and couldn't dig out of it. Okay. So it's time now for the spicy stat of the day, brought to you by New Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up? Oh, I'm, I've been fired up. Yeah, Let's you, go. You've been fired up on all of these. Um, I'm so holding look, a basketball for no reason. In yeah. modern NBA times, it's not that unusual to get behind double digits and be able to come back. Sure. You're still yeah. not helping yourself out. But... The Raptors have been doing it at such a crazy rate that we look, you could have made the case early in the year that worse days were ahead based on how often they were falling behind. I saw some people make the case that better days were ahead because they kept being able to come back and things like that. Well, nope. they have trailed by double digits 27 times in the first half already this year. What? Only Utah, Charlotte, oh, and Portland. Utah, Charlotte, and Portland. So Holy. two tanking teams and a team that was. Uh-huh in the wilderness until the last six weeks or so. Only those three teams have been down by double digits in the first half more. It gets worse. So they've trailed by thirty by 10 plus 36 times overall. Mm-hmm. That is 72% of their games. Yeah. That is more frequently being down double digits yeah. than in the Tampa tank season. Wow. In fact, wow. for the last time the Toronto Raptors were getting down double digits at yeah. this rate, you have to go back to 1997-98. Wow, we talking Damon Stoudemire level? We're talking Damon Stoudemire as he's requesting a trade out of here level. Um, So, look, some of that is scoring is just up in the NBA. Three-point shooting is higher up. You're going to get down, but but the Raptors are 6-30 and in those games when they get down 10 or more. It is, we're past the point of, like, yeah. Comeback well, kids, Kyle Lowry, 30 point fourth quarter. I mean, they stuff. were down 10 like after two minutes last night. So, yeah. yeah. Six okay. and 30, and they have not been getting down by double digits this regularly since the third season uh-huh. of the franchise's existence. Yeah. I have a sub spicy stat for you. Oh, my. Am I, that's a lot of spice already. Man. Yeah. My stomach hurting. Yeah. Where's the little the little graph on yeah, there? The is yeah. yeah. The oh, meter. On, that's man. the word. I feel word like for I'm it. on uh, hot ones right okay. now. Okay. Um, Jalen McDaniels and Bruce Brown. What about them? Are both. <laughs> So Jalen McDaniels' favorite Raptors at the moment. Jalen McDaniels is minus fifty as a Raptor. <laughs> Yo, oh. Bruce Brown's already minus sixty. What? I tweeted. Wow. I tweeted a list out without explaining what it was earlier. Yeah. So these are Ooh. two of the ten quickest mm. minus fifties in franchise history. Because yeah, yeah, McDaniels yeah. has still only played two hundred eighty-seven minutes. Mm. Bruce Brown has played two hundred forty-five. Yeah. So some other names. Too many for both. Some other names on this list. So yeah. you're, we're talking minus fifty or worse yeah, yeah, yeah. in less time than McDaniels and, and Bruce Brown. All right, hit me. You'll get Landry Fields in 2014, 2015. Okay, that was Landry Fields was like yeah. one ulnar elbow or like, or too many like, ulnar elbows yeah, or whatever. He literally had a broke like a, yeah. a nerve issue. He's I'm playing gonna, I'm gonna excuse him. Yeah, he's playing one handed exactly. Uh, Anthony Carter in that if you remember oh, him remember briefly being on the yeah, team in 2011, 2012, had, had as big as mine. Yeah, uh, Aaron Williams. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. Yeah, uh, one okay. of three Williams on the team at one point. Twenty percent of the Raptors named Williams. And these are, by the way, getting few worse and worse. Yeah, as we as we go Let's here. Go. Uh, Michael Stewart in 2000, 2001. Okay, yeah. Before my time, but sure, heard of him. This is the first, the first Maasai guy, Julian Stone, minus oh. fifty in one hundred and nineteen minutes. What? Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, the Raptors needed a backup point guard so badly this season. It was him competing with DJ Augustine, and competing with Dwight bikes. Dwight bikes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. and I mentioned 1997-98, the last time the team was getting behind this big, this regularly. Mm-hmm. In only 70 minutes with the team, mm-hmm. over six games. Roy Rogers was minus 56 in 70 minutes. Yeah, still better than Roy Bell's. Sorry. 
<laughs> I don't know. So stupid. Yeah, yeah. we're all right. That's uh, That was your uh, your spicy stat of the day and yeah. your spicy shout out of the day. Brought to you by new Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up? After that one, I'm ready to curl up in a ball with yeah. a bowl of soup is, uh, is how I'm feeling after those ones. I'm ready to take a break. That's what we're yeah. doing. I'm your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, let's discuss Scotty Barnes making the All-Star team. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Blake Blue. Joined by co-host, Blake Murphy. Shouts to producer, Derek Brandeo for playing Drake today of all days and playing Cider from the bottom. No idea what you're talking about. No yeah. idea why that's appropriate or inappropriate today whatsoever. Yeah. It's just a classic song that means nothing else. Uh, yeah, speaking of Cider from the bottom, um, Scotty Barnes, I guess he's kind of didn't really start from the bottom. Yeah, he's the number four pick and <laughs> yeah. uh, one rookie of the year. Yeah, you're right. Okay, that doesn't really fit in this, this transition. But yeah, as, as uh, we said before the break, Scotty Barnes, named an all-star reserve by Adam Silver alongside of Trey Young. Um, yeah, your initial thoughts on this. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, we both had him on our hypothetical ballots. Yep. Neither of us have a, a vote. And for those who don't remember, you know, the starters are determined by 50% fan vote, 25% media, 25% players. Neither of those groups, fans, media, or players had Scotty in as a starter. Not a surprise there. The coaches vote from there. We know historically the coaches really value uh, winning record as kind of a, a tiebreaker. It didn't play out that way necessarily in the Western Conference, but in the East it did. Um, but we had we thought, we, you know, we we both had Julius Randle getting injury replaced on our ballots that bought us that extra guy, and then the Joel Embiid news has come down since. So um, mm-hmm. the fact that both of us had Scotty Barnes on our ballots, obviously we believe he was yep. deserving of one of those replacement spots. I think it's cool. I think Barnes has, you know, earned it. This has been a trying year for the Raptors in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and this is a nice bright spot for Barnes and for the franchise, I'm sure, and for the fan base. I, I know, you know, the fan base has been really, really yeah. hungry for this. Um, ninth Raptor only to be an all-star. So okay. it, it already puts him in, in pretty interesting, you know, there's Lowry, Bosch, Vince, DeMar, Pascal, Antonio Davis, mm-hmm. Kawhi, and Fred, and now Scotty Barnes. It's a pretty, yeah. pretty thin class for a franchise that's existed for over 25 years now. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think first off, uh, this is an instance where it's like, I'm leaving here with something. Like, yeah. at, at least this season will be over and, you know, what else ever comes from it. We've seen Scotty take this jump forward. Now, we want to see him get back to the levels that he was at the start of the season. Whether or not that's going to be easy to do with the roster changing so much is difficult to say because there were other sort of players here who can have made that a little bit easier. But nevertheless, like, the best player on the Raptors all season has been Scotty Barnes. Him taking this jump forward um, has really... Um, been the number one reason to tune in like you tune in to see him take over play both ends of the floor grow his game now of course that's going to come with ups and downs right and we saw that in the same game the okc game he played like an all-star for three quarters and then was kind of not near the ball for the overtime periods but again that's going to happen with a young player i think the most important thing is you see him play at an all-star level already just get him to stay at that level and then continue to raise the level of his teammates because i think the next step once you make the all-star is hopefully you get in that environment Mm-hmm. Where just like for example, Scotty's been named to the select team to the USA um, group for the summer. Now it's very unlikely he goes to the actual Olympics and makes the final twelve. But you get in that environment, you see how other great players work, how they develop, how they 
interact, how they carry themselves. And, you know, you get the same to do the same thing, I guess, at All-Star Weekend. Now, he's, this is already his third All-Star Weekend <laughs> because he was in the rookie game, the sophomore game, you know. But still, um, you get more and more reps in that sort of context and, and hopefully it makes them hungrier, hopes it makes them want to come back and continue to lead the Raptors and, and let them grow. Because I've said many times, like, the, the team has been handed over to him firmly. Mm-hmm. And he's the youngest guy, which I think the team has been ever been given to, to be honest. There may be some instances where I suppose you could say Vince, but there wasn't even much of a team to give at that point, <laughs> you know? Um, and so there is expectation because this is the market that's gotten really used to winning as well. So however he finds that next step to translate the production into winning is going to help. That's not all on him. He's going to need his teammates to help. He's going to need the front office to bring more people in. He's going to need the coach to, you know, even put the ball in his hands more deliberately or deliberately at certain moments. But Overall, he's played an all-star level all season. That's why you and I both had him on our all-star reserves. And, um, yeah, salute to Adam Silver, man. Come on the Raptors show. And he's also put the Raptors into the all-star show. So, yeah. good he, for you, he Adam. He enjoyed Thank all you. the banter is why uh, is why Scotty Barnes is there. I, yes. I also think, look, these things are – we make a huge deal of them. And, and they're important. Like, at the end of Guy's career, how many times it made the all-star, how many times it made all-NBA. Yeah, sure. It affects your earning potential, you know, with the all-NBA stuff, whether you like it or not. Um, it's it's probably something next CBA we need to move away from, but but mm-hmm. it's a thing that's real. This is also like we talk about Scotty and his role in his development day to day. This is a nice opportunity to take a snapshot, take a breath. Yeah. Like, hey, his scoring's up five points a game. He's up a rebound and a half. He's up an assist a game. His mm-hmm. usage is up five percentage points, but so is his true shooting. His true shooting yeah. percentage has taken a big jump. His assist rate is up with barely a noticeable uptick in his turnover rate. Like everything is moving in the right direction, except the team's record, which isn't a one person thing. So I think it's also just you know, the arguments of who should make it, who shouldn't. Oh, uh, this definitely helps those, by the way. Sometimes the tone on, yeah. you know, Raptors fan base discussions around Scotty or, or other pieces or whatever. Yeah. It's a good moment for everyone to just like take a breath, mm-hmm. appreciate how far Scotty's come here in year three relative to year two. And, and it's uh, it's extra reason to tune in uh, on All-Star Weekend. Now, do you think we could get him in the dunk contest? Think we could get elbow him a little bit and be like, Ooh. hey, if Jalen's going to do it. Honestly, anything... It- Anything to get NBA players into the dunk contest, I'm down. I mean, what do you think Scotty's best get dunk would be? NBA players in. No, I'm, I mean, listen, I respect Mac, but come on, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What do you think Scotty's best dunk has been? Like, just. I mean, it's all he's a power dunker, right? Like to he me, it's, it's not the finesse yeah. stuff. It's the. Okay. It's a you're dunking. You're putting like it's definitely one of those ones where he's like grabbed an offensive rebound and like drop stepped on top of someone. So those are my favorites, Scotty. There was the one last year where he dunked all over either Vucevic or I think it was Vucevic. He like had him in the post and then like took one hard dribble, turned around and just like banged on him with one hand. He's had some pretty good like two-handed dunks as well. The thing with him is when there's a fast break, which is usually an opportunity for like Terrence Rouse to bust out a windmill or Paul George just always do the 360, Mm -hmm. something like that. Uh Scotty Barnes' signature dunk is let's actually look back at them, wait from the catch up, and then uh, do a quick dunk yeah. on them. Um, but yeah, I would not be opposed. It'd, it'd be fun to see him do some of the activities. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, Samson Folk pointing out that uh, this is also the youngest a Raptor has ever been named to the All Star team. Hmm. So is that uh, true? Scotty, do it. According, according to Samson. We got a note from producer Ahmed Mon in the chat that says Chris Bosch is the youngest Raptor All Star. He was at 21. Yeah. Well, Chris Bosch and um, I was going to say uh, Chris Bosch and Samson can fight it out. Uh, Samson and Amit can uh, can fight it out uh, for that one. Bosch was in his age twenty one season, so uh, it's possible. Anyway, we'll hey. double check that at the break. Cool. Um, Conflicting notes. Sorry, everyone. So before we go though, and take another break, uh, a bunch of trade deadline 
news topics around the Raptors. So first one, uh, Dave McMenamin, friend of the program, come on the show. Uh, I, th- I think our producers already reached out, so that's not yeah. a reveal. But anyway, Dave McMenamin of ESPN uh, wrote that D'Angelo Russell has been mentioned in trade talks uh, with, Tor- uh, with Toronto, Brooklyn, and Atlanta. Obviously, the Lakers have been connected to DeJounte Murray, but th- then again, you saw literal Hawks fans chanting, we don't want you, we don't want you at D'Angelo Russell when he was at the foul line. Is that going to necessarily inform whether or not he's going to go there? Who knows? But, I mean, you could see, for example, D'Angelo Russell being taken into Toronto as a third party. Mm-hmm. You might see Bruce Brown going in these kind of trades. You've seen Bruce Brown connected to the Lakers as well. But, yeah, your thoughts on just in general taking D'Angelo Russell back for yeah, Toronto? Yeah, I mean, look, D'Lo's, uh, he's not going to fit the core of what you're doing long term. Like, he's, he's 27. He can opt out of his contract after this year, which is a positive and a negative because, you know, if he doesn't opt out, that's $19 million. That's a good right. chunk of your, your offseason flexibility there. Um, D'Lo's a cool player. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I like his game aesthetically. But, like, he's, he's not going to be a piece that you add into the quickly R.J. Barnes core you would be looking at the next move for Russell and either taking him on because you anticipate dealing him again in the offseason if he picks up his option or just you know treat him as an expiring or whatever it would be about the other asset you can get in a deal like that I think more than D'Angelo Russell specifically Mm -hmm. unless you have a a strong take on on D'Lo um he's a balling out yeah I I mean he's a good player he's a good player I think it depends on what you think of quickly long term yeah um, not to say that DeAndre Russell is going to be here long term, but do you want? Because you saw even yesterday's game, for example, quickly was struggling, and Darko's option, as it typically is, is oh, there's a problem on the Raptors. It's time to put Dennis Schroeder yeah. in the game. And you think you know, that's changing with DeAndre Russell in there, though? Uh, we got three point guard lineups, yeah. I suppose. Uh, he did that in OKC, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that if it depends on whether or not you feel like quickly needs a second point guard to play off of. I think it's for quickly. It's probably having more bigs to play off of to give him more space on screens or lob threat or things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at this point, I wouldn't be opposed because he could put the ball in the hoop. But I don't really see a long term fit for Russell here in Toronto. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. I, he's not a guy who's like going to raise the the floor for you. No, and I, I wanted to throw some of the. I have a mailbag up at sportsnet.ca that goes into some deadline stuff. A lot. Thank you to everyone for for all the questions last night. And I wanted to throw some of them at you. Maybe we could do that in segment four as well. Okay, but yeah, the, let's do it. The D'Lo thing, the Raptors being used as a third party in trades yeah. in general, even if it's a Bruce Brown trade, you know, the Raptors are. I mean, set what about up, DeAndre Russell out of a Bruce Brown trade? I'm I'm okay with that for sure. Yeah, and like I think you'd hope to pick up an extra draft asset somewhere in there. Um, okay. But more interesting than the specifics mm-hmm. of this, because you could throw Rui in there instead. Yeah, you, you could, could. I don't know. You could. It's like th- a couple of people threw PJ Washington at me as like, what if a three team shakes out this way? It, more, sure. Why not? More specifically, though, the idea of the Raptors are set up to have a bunch of cap space this season right now. We know it's not the greatest of free agent classes. We know that cap space is about more than free agency alone. It's about using that flexibility to pick up assets. Are you okay with a trade that, say, brings back? longer term money if it means in Russell's case he can opt out so mm-hmm. he wouldn't be the long term piece you, you'd probably be looking at a prospect or a draft pick in there to, to sweeten it but say a Rui where he's got a couple years left and, yeah. and that is part of the thing are you okay with that use of the the cap flexibility the Raptors have built here or are you more in a clear the deck and it's only prospects and picks that matter to me mode we played Jalen McDaniels and gave him the ultimate green light last night I'm okay with uh, taking back Rui Hachimura in any context um but yeah, in general, yes, I'm okay with that. I, the, the cap flexibility thing, I mean, right now the Raptors have a good use of it and they take in some extra picks, like kind of like OKC style, I don't mind. But at the same time, I also want to see players. Because again, like Scotty just got named an all-star, right? 
like when Chris Bosh was named an all-star, the next season the Raptors changed management, changed whatever, and they got enough pieces in that they could win 47 games that year that they won yeah. the Atlantic Division, which, by the way, the Raptors have not won a single game in that division this year. Um, like, if you don't bring in immediate pieces, or not even immediate pieces, but, like, players who can play rather than picks, all of a sudden you're just wasting another all-star campaign, for example, yeah. right? At least when, when Chris made his first all-star the next year, he was, like, definitively an all-star, and the Raptors were definitively a playoff team. So I ideally like to see players over picks. Um, real quick, Fred Katz also said that uh, the Knicks are offering Evan Fournier and draft compensation, but not Quentin Grimes in a Bruce Brown deal. I mean, it would depend on what the draft compensation is okay. uh, specifically. The, the Knicks have uh, a bunch of... A lot of picks. Yeah, they, they have a lot of picks that they can use. Now, you know, they have their own first this year. They have firsts from Dallas, Detroit, and Washington that are all protected, but like roll over to the next year. They don't turn into two. They don't turn into seconds until 2027, mm-hmm. um, 20, 2025 in Dallas's case, 2027 in the other case. So they are real firsts. And then they've also got an additional Milwaukee first at some point, all their own firsts. So there's some real draft equity there in addition to having a handful of extra seconds. Okay. And then last one from John Krasinski of The Athletic. Timberwolves are monitoring Kyle Lowry and Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Hard to figure this. I have a Dennis Schroeder to Minnesota trade for you for later, but it's not the sexiest. Okay. What a tease. You're not getting Nasreed. It's not the sexiest. Yeah, you're definitely not getting Nasreed, but uh, who knows? Maybe you got Leonard Miller. But anyway, we'll take another break. Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Ben Blue, joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined on the line, my friend of the program, Mo DeKeel of The Athletic, of Bleach Report, of The Jump Ball. Uh, what's going on, man? What's going on, Mo? Good to see you again. Uh, it's good to see you. I mean, not a lot. We just we got a busy week ahead of us. We do have a busy week ahead of us. Um, actually, you know, I wanted your reaction to this because this this news broke uh, while we were on air uh, in the last hour. But Scotty Barnes, named on All-Star Reserve by Adam Silver alongside of Trey Young. Obviously, uh, Julius Randle and Joel Embiid are injured, cannot play in the game in the Eastern Conference. Your thoughts on Scotty Barnes making his first uh, all-star appearance? I think it's well-deserved. You know, I think it's uh, some people might consider it not the same because it was a uh, uh, situation where he was uh, added as a reserve. But that just shows how deep the league is in terms of how much talent we have. But he's earned it. He's been really solid and and after what people deemed a step back year last year he's really stepped up to plate and this year with the Raptors kind of just handing the team to him I think this is a big step going forward I know you caught a, a little bit of the or you caught most of Raptors thunder the other night I don't know how many of, of these post trade Raptors games you you've gotten to take in in full but what have you seen from Scotty since the kind of you know, in the the post Pascal era, acknowledging that a lot of that was without Pirtle, a lot of that was without a couple of their their guards out injured. Um, but what you've seen from him, kind of with the reins in his hands, a little bit more here. I mean, to be clear and honest, I I only caught like the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter and, <laughs> okay. and, and the two overtime, so I didn't really get so. And, and to yeah. be honest, those weren't great Scotty moments. No. So I don't know yeah. if we can really My go bad. into it, but I. 
I think going forward, though, yeah. for the organization, I think, you know, it's it's putting him in positions to be the man and be that guy. I don't know if he could be that. Personally, I think he's probably more of a number two, um, kind of more like a Scottie Pippen mm. in that sense. But I think, uh, you know, I think they're trying to put him in those situations and find out. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, right? We got to find out because... If he's if he ain't number one on the Raptors, nobody else really has that kind of <laughs> yeah. ability to be number one, right? So you got to give him that chance. He's young, um, and yeah, you know this is a nice reward for all the effort and the work that's that it's taken to get to this level. Uh, things like his three point shooting, for example, taking that jump, um, you know, from just below average to close to average, above average for a lot of the season, uh, and it's a nice reward. We want to talk about the other teams. Um, around the NBA because, let's be honest, the Raptors no longer relevant after a 138-100 to 100 <laughs> drubbing by the Pelicans. Um, okay, so I want to start with OKC because the Raptors have just seen OKC. And I'm thinking about OKC now as, obviously, they're going to make the playoffs, right? This is the first time they're going to be with this core, with this group, back into the playoffs. And I just want to know what you think of them as like a playoff team because clearly they're, in the regular season setting right now, they're winning, they're beating all the teams. They've got tons of impressive wins. They've even beaten lots of teams like Philly, Denver, et cetera, et cetera, whoever you want. Um, but how do you see this young OKC team faring in the playoffs? Like, what are going to be some of the strengths and weaknesses that are about to be revealed when a team goes to the playoffs for the first time? I mean, it'll be fascinating in this sense when they get to the playoffs trying to figure out, you know, how are they going to handle Josh Giddy not really being a shooter and nobody guarding him. And, and to Giddy's credit, he has shot the ball extremely well lately. He does, you know, he has games where he'll hit three or four threes. But I really think teams are just going to be like, cool, man, if Giddy knocks us out of the playoffs, we'll live with that. They're going to pack the paint and really try to crowd Shea, who is one of their strengths. But it becomes a different scenario in the playoffs. As you guys know, when teams get to kind of lock down on you, sit there, scout you, and look for every weakness and how they can kind of exploit it, it gets, it gets challenging. And I think one other issue for the Thunder that's really massive right now, and maybe they address it at the trade deadline, they're one of the worst rebounding teams of all the good teams out there. And I think that's a massive concern for them. They're pretty small in terms of just size. After Chet, it gets really, really tiny pretty quick. And I think that's a very concerning situation for them in the playoffs because that's going to matter. That's a huge part of it in the playoffs is rebounding. And I think they need to make sure they figure out how to shore that up and all that. I think they're good. I don't know if they're ready to be conference championship or, or conference finalists yet but i think you know trending in the right direction in terms of addressing that need i think most people would agree with you that yeah they get they got to get another rebounder they i, I like jalen williams number two but if he's your if he has to be your backup center in every matchup you're, you're maybe uh in a bit of trouble there where do you land in terms of this kind of philosophical and i think we have an idea of where sam presti lands on it but but for our purposes you know this philosophical of well, they haven't, they've gotten a play in experience, but they haven't been to the playoffs yet. And maybe there's some value in letting this group as it is get to the playoffs, see where the weaknesses emerge, see what other teams try to probe, and then addressing it in the offseason once they've had a run through it together versus, hey, you have a pretty good idea. This is a thing now. You have more assets than you could possibly ever use. Get something done here because you really do have a, a window here and who knows how many how many years that, that window is going to be. Where do you land on that kind of patience versus acting now as the Thunder come out of this next stage of the build? I think it's I'm a little bit more in the act now, but not in the way I think other people are. People want to make have them make a massive move. <laughs> I'm like, yo, like this is just a small move. Just get a bit another big guy. You're looking at a backup big. I mean, you know, uh, maybe it's something as small as Andre Drummond. I was 
texting friends the other day going like, you know, this is actually while watching that Raptors Thunder game, you yeah. know, yeah, Capertal might make a lot of sense. You know, I, I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um, in that area. And again, they have so many assets. They don't have to make a massive move right now. I think in the long run, I think, yeah, just see where you're at. But I think if the right opportunity comes and it's not as a major of a cost, I would make a move. We know this is a problem. We have enough data in this, in the, uh, uh, Q. It's not a small sample size or anything like that. We know this is going to be an issue for them. They, if you can address it, address it, especially if it's not going to cost you much. Yeah, and I think that there is something too with like, for example, Bertans. Right, this year is on the books for seventeen. I think yeah. sixteen next year, unguaranteed. Um, partially guaranteed. Partially guaranteed. Yeah. yeah, like you only got so many chances to trade a player like that. You know what I mean? Like you get to essentially take a guy who is not doing anything obviously on your roster, take one of your literally forty picks, and Go get somebody who can help you right now. And I think the worst thing is for this group because they're they're moving in such a good direction and they're on such a steady rise. Like the first playoffs is like a wake up call for so many things. We saw that in Toronto for a long time, for example. Raptors would have like a 56 win season, and they'll be in the first round one versus eight against uh, the the Pacers, and it'll be a seven game series and it'll come down right down to the wire and. That was actually considered a breakthrough because the two years before that, they lost in seven to the Nets and they got swept by Washington. Like, for a young team, like, you don't want to see the win taken out of yourselves. Now, clearly, OKC is more talented than that Raptors team. But, yeah, like, get a big, get somebody who, you know, um, maybe a little bit more size on the wing as well. I feel like most teams can use a little bit of that. Um, and and maybe even a guy who, I, I guess, secondary scoring-wise, because you saw the, what the Raptors did, which was send a double at Shea, you know, and the first half it was when he got inside the three-point arc, and the second half it was before he even gets in the yeah, three-point right. arc. Yeah. So who is – are you guys confident, I guess, that there's a secondary score for OKC there that's going to already take on that role? Well, and, and I'll kick this to Mo, but as a pivot, you know, how different does what the Raptors tried to do to Shea look if Jalen Williams is available? Like, it would, like your sure, confidence yeah. level, Mo, in Jalen Williams being that guy for OKC and filling the need of an extra secondary scoring option when healthy. I think he's that guy in their future. Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, whether that's something that he, it's going to be the consistency of it. Like he has to grow into that. I think we see that. I think he can definitely be that guy. There have definitely been games we've seen where he's come in and really kind of helped, you know, extend a lead or, or put them in a better position or cut down a lead with Shea on the bench. You know, I think he's very possible, you know, in that second kind of ball handler sort of creator, second scorer scenario for them. And I think you have, you know, a guy like Chet, who, you know, he's going to play in all this space that Shea's going to build, you know, and create on his own. I think all of that stuff kind of helps them in that scenario, sort of kind of come together in making sure they have that second and third option in that area. And I think it kind of waffles between the two guys, you know, between Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren as to who's the two guy that night. But I think in the long run, I think Williams is set up perfectly to be that guy. Okay. So, Okay, see, is there like, so they're obviously going to finish top half of the conference, maybe even finish number one. They're tied, I think, number one right now with Minnesota. Last time I looked at it. Um, is there a bogey team for them that could really scare them? Because, like, for example, the Raptors played the Pelicans last night. I'm looking at the Pelicans. I'm like, damn, this team is huge. They could really give you a team some issues. You know, um, last year they ran into Minnesota, who gave them a lot of issues with their size. So uh, is there a bogey team for the, potentially that you see what the team as is? I mean, one team I'd be kind of afraid of if I was them was is the Lakers. Mm. You know, I think, you know, the Lakers have right. already beaten sure. them twice. They got a lot of size. 
and you know LeBron's LeBron, and we know he, you know, assuming they're healthy, they're they're really a problem matchup for those guys. I think it becomes a very difficult scenario for them in terms of how they have to play and how they have to go through things. And I think the uh, the that that would be a, a team I'd look at. And then just yeah, any team with size. I think another team though that right doesn't have a ton of size, but is a problem for them also is the Clippers. Mm. I got to watch the Clippers beat them, you know, up close and personal here in LA. And I think that's something that's, you know, that's three guys that can light it up at any moment that they have. It's very difficult. And as good of a defensive team as OKC has, it's, it's hard. It's hard to stop everything. And then the Clippers just kind of coming off the bench, got a lot of firepower. So I think those are two teams I'd, I'd be really worried about if I were the Thunder. Okay. Let's talk about the Clippers. Sorry. I got one more on the Thunder before we pivot. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Mo, you obviously break down a lot of X's and O's. I, I saw you post a video on your Twitter uh, of the key ATO that the Thunder ran to get um, Aaron Wiggins, that bucket at the basket, to, to force overtime in that last game. They're number two in the NBA in points per possession coming out of timeouts and dead balls. Obviously, some of that is offensive talent, but what else is it about them that makes... Like, there are other talented offensive teams, better offensive teams than OKC, who aren't as effective in those ATO situations. What is it about the Thunder and Mark Dagnall that, that's made them so effective there? I think it's Mark Dagnall's stuff that willing to use Shea as your screener. Mm-hmm. Like, how many teams do we know in that instance are, hey, we're getting the ball into our best player's hands. I mean, they run Shea off a down screen and then he just turns around and sets the back screen for Wiggins knowing that, Hey, the defense is going to collapse on him. This is the play. This is going to be open. And I think that's a, uh, uh, willingness to just say, Hey, we're going to do all sorts of stuff in terms of that. All five guys on the floor for, I guess when you're inbounding the, the fifth guy can't be, uh, <laughs> can't shoot it from the taking it out. Um, but I think, you know, they're the understanding of, Hey, we're going to use everybody and put everybody in good positions. We're going to understand how the defense is handling things. And we're going to counter to that. And I think Mark Dagnall, that's the reason why he's probably going to be coach of the year. Yeah. That play, by the way, was, it was great because OKC does run a lot of like guards setting screens or wing setting screens. And I think it was similar in effect where this is the same reason why Steph is such a good screener. It's like, you don't want to help off that guy. But if you are that guy is then setting a screen, you are creating a 2 one advantage, essentially, because that man is never helping off of Shea. So in this case, I think it was Dennis Schroeder who didn't want to get off of Shea, just like we've seen instances, countless instances of Steph setting back picks, things like that. Um, okay, I want to talk about those Clippers as well. Clippers in the last 30 games, 25-5 and five in their last 30. Kawhi in that stretch averaging 57 percent shooting from the field, 51 from three, 92 percent from the foul line. You don't have to tell anyone in Toronto that Kawhi is good. There's literally a Kawhi Leonard jersey hanging behind Blake's head there. But um, yeah, first off, is this A, the best Clippers team we have ever seen, and B, are the Clippers the best team, at least on paper, that you see in the entire Western Conference? Uh, They're the best team since the first time they got together. I think this is the best Clipper okay. team since the first Paul George and, and Kawhi. We kind of get lost a little bit in the fact because they blew that 3-1 lead mm-hmm. against the Nuggets in the bubble. But before the whole stoppage of the season, they were one of the best teams in the NBA. So we get a little bit lost, but they're right in that mix. Okay. This team might be a bit better, but it's comparable in that sense. Uh As to your second question, I don't just think they're the best team in the Western Conference. I think they have the best roster up and down. You know, I think the Celtics have the top six players and, you know, the best top six 
But I think after that, the Clippers can beat them. I mean, they're bringing Russ is coming off the bench and is doing a great job changing the pace. Norman Powell's not getting enough love for potential sixth man of the year. And I know that's a, another former Raptor for you guys. You know, I, I do have concerns in terms of their bigs with Zubach kind of being a little bit injured, but you know, they, they have enough firepower. I mean, I didn't even talk about Amir coffee has been phenomenal for oh, them yeah. this season. Folger you know, soldier. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, yeah, you got, you got so much. You know, for this team, uh -huh. I think they're a lot deeper than I think people realize. And I think that's one of the things where I look at them going like they have the best roster. And, you know, again, it's with them. We have to look at it, assuming good health. You know, it's it's such a big thing and we're going to knock on wood for them. But like, I think they have a legitimate chance to win the championship this year. Yeah. And to your point about them versus the Celtics, I mean, they, the two teams did play each other recently. I watched a, a decent amount of that game and it was in Boston. And the Clippers won, yeah. 115 96. It's Kawhi and Paul George against uh, two guys that Boston people pretend are Kawhi and Paul George. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. By the way, the, shots the, fired. The Kawhi <laughs> stats are uh, absurd. And I think I want to bring this up with you because, you know, you were formerly um, a, a video coordinator with the Spurs. I think when Kawhi was there, I remember that's back in 2019, we, we used to bring you on the pod. I was not there. I you was not, not there? there when he was there. I uh, missed him. Oh, well, you missed out on this. Okay. This key stat. So Kawhi Leonard, in the, in the games that he's played, obviously, he's missed a lot of games in his career. In the games that he has played, Kawhi Leonard has won 73.4% of all NBA games that he has participated in, right? So essentially, he's a walking 60-win team. So that's what 73% means. And to put that in comparison, Kevin Durant has won 63% of the games he's taken part in. LeBron, 65. Steph Curry, 65. Clay, 67. I put Clay in there because Steph and Clay they have a slight, you know, not perfect overlap. Even the big three Spurs that he was part of, obviously, Tim Duncan, 72, Mono Ginobili, 72, Tony Parker, 71, Kawhi is at 73.4. It's better than Kareem at 69% for his career. So I don't know. I just wanted to appreciate Kawhi of all days. But, you know. Mo, that's just an unbelievable stat. Okay. That's absurd. Mo, I even threw at him the one guy that you would think, <laughs> oh, the yeah. one guy synonymous with never losing. It's even a higher winning percentage than Mr. Championships only Patrick McCaw, who's at 72.4%. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was a great curveball you threw at me because I was like, who, who did I forget here, Bill Russell? He's like, no. <laughs> Patrick McCaw. <laughs> McCaw. Uh, who also has a G League ring in yeah. addition to... Uh, Count yeah. it. Count it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the Clippers are, Clippers are incredible. I mean, best team in the league. Like, are you, are you almost there with them? I'm, I'm getting there, yeah. Okay. Like, like I, I feel pretty good about them. I guess my the one concern is always, you know, can they stay healthy? Uh, Mo, if other than health, because that obviously applies to everyone, and especially when you have Kawhi and Paul George. Other than that, what is what is the thing that could trip the Clippers? Obviously, the West is so good that, like, you might just lose a series and be a good team. It's not that big a deal. Um, is it the fact that, you know, it's it's a Tice Plumley? Backline, but but behind Zubats, is it that man spot where you know you're maybe not as as comfortable night to night as you'd like to be? What is the one thing that you you think could trip them up? I mean, I wouldn't mind having one more shooting big. I know Tice can kind of knock down some threes, but adding one more, maybe a guy like Kelly Olynyk at the deadline might be something that would be a, oh. a, a great move for them oh. in that sense. And I think that would be a. a I think make everybody feel better about their size. What, but one other thing that might trip them up and this might has nothing to do with who they could trade for or whatnot is, you know, we just got to make sure they get the right James Harden in the playoffs. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's, that's going to be the concern that everybody's going to have and something that's fair in that sense of like, we just have to make sure it's, it's the right Harden that shows up. It's the Harden that they're getting now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, totally different players, James Harden and Kyle Lowry, for example, but like, 
you know, when the Raptors finally won the championship, he was like third leading scorer. You know what I mean? Like Kyle Lowry is your first leading scorer. You're not winning much in the playoffs. As your second leading scorer, there's a ceiling for what you do in the playoffs. As a third score, all of a sudden you have a lot of good things because depending on in for the, the the table setting, the the playmaking, the defense, things like that. Same thing for James right now. I mean, James is obviously way better of a player than, than Kyle, but like, yeah, you got Kawhi and PG now. And now it's like in a totally different context as compared to what he was in Houston or Brooklyn or or, or even in uh, Philadelphia and, as well. And you'd hope that the whole season is enough time for him to see the vision and buy in, right? Of like, I mean, hey, he looks bought hey, in, man. Yeah, and like, yeah. hey, you're shooting a career high three percentage because like when you're a distributor and then you relocate off the ball, you're getting mm-hmm. wide open looks at you before you would have had to take like a seven dribble step back to <laughs> get that step. shot off. And Crossover now, step, now everyone's yeah. worried about all the forty percent three point shooters you're surrounded with. Yeah. Um, Man, it's uh, it's hope, tough to imagine a team defending against that that Clippers team if they're uh, if they're in good shape. I guess the Celtics would be maybe the team defensively. And Mo, I pivot to them because you wrote a terrific piece uh, at the Athletic about their defensive innovations just a couple weeks back. This doesn't have to have to be Clippers specific, but when you look at the playoff landscape, are the you mentioned the Celtics maybe have the best top six, but with what they can do defensively, with everything they've experimented with defensively, is that the team you're most confident in their? kind of malleability and versatility on the defensive end? Yeah, I think a lot of times we talk about offensive versatility, but we don't really focus on defensive versatility. And I feel like that Celtics team is leaning hard into their defensive versatility, playing zone, having Drew Holiday guard centers, you know, and and, and allow Porzingis and Horford to roam. I think there's a lot of different sort of things that they're doing and playing with. And obviously, man-to-man, they have solid defenders, you know, ac- across the board. I think it's they're the one team in the East. Like I'm very confident again, healthy with their top six. Like that's a team that's just going to be a tough force to, to reckon with come playoff time. Like they're, they're so strong in that sense. And just seeing the stuff with the Embiid injury, the bucks haven't really figured it out. You know, I'm not a hundred percent in on the Cavs. I'm the Knicks yeah. who I'm, I'm really enjoying. I f- still feel like are a score away. Um, I think, you know, it's it's looking at just kind of their main competition. I kind of think it's it's lining up nicely for the Celtics. Yeah. Um, another team I it may be lining up nicely for are the Knicks, who finally caught a loss over the weekend. Um, they had been just mowing down every single team, no matter who they had in the lineup. Um, yeah, I mean, assuming Brunson, or assuming, like, obviously Brunson stays at this rate, which I think he will, and then that, uh, that Randall returns. And Randall, by the way, is, is is a big X factor for the playoffs because we've seen him have wild ups and downs in the playoffs. Um, yeah, how do you how do you see the Knicks as a playoff team? Because they are way deeper than before, and they have a big wing stopper now in OG who can actually you know what you actually need to go up against like a Boston, like a even Cleveland. If they face Donovan Mitchell, no one has guarded Donovan Mitchell better than OG, for example. Uh, you know, Milwaukee against Giannis, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, how do you what do you, what, what's your outlook on the Knicks? Yeah, I'm really high on them. You know, I love the OG trade for them. You know, uh, it's uh, another high IQ defensive player that Tibbs loves. Like, this is the kind of guy like Tibbs would create in a lab, you know, and I think that's sort of the the scenario. And we saw it because Tibbs was playing him like 40-something minutes right off the bat. Yeah. So I think, you know, he, the Knicks are right there. Mm-hmm. I have a question of... Can you win a championship with Jalen Brunson being your number one guy? 
And okay. it's not a shot at Jalen Brunson. He's small guard. He's got a lot of stuff in his bag, a lot of plays, a lot of movements, and 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 a lot of stuff that he can finish with. But I just feel like they're like one one wing scorer away. And if that guy could play some defense, would be helpful as well. But one wing scorer away, one guy who they can just give it to, who's six 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 seven, can get his own shot off of just about anybody. Like that would be, you know, the situation where I'd look at it going, there's no reason this team can't win a championship. That's they are just that one piece away. Can I give you the the counter to that? Brunson yes, averaging thirty one last year in the in the Heat series. Brunson averaging twenty four despite the injury. Uh, in the was he injured? No, he wasn't injured. Um, twenty four in in the the Cavs series as well. Like, I, I hear you. They do need a secondary score, but maybe if Randall plays better, and maybe because the, the overall team is now shooting threes at a crazy high rate too. Like, can they act like in the aggregate between those two give up that like secondary scoring that they need? Because Brunson, I, really I, feel- I'm not worried about Brunson individually, but as, to your point, they need a second guy. I mean, do you really feel comfortable saying Randall? No. And that is, I know Randall's had a good year. I'm not trying to take a, no, you're right. a massive shot, but it just in that sense of it's very up and down with him. And he's been really good this season. I mean, all star and everything, yeah. but you know, it's, it, it's a very ebb and flow with him in that instance. And there are times where it's like, okay, now he's going to try to start going one-on-one and some of his decision-making is not the best. It's a little bit tough for me to see that mm. being the, uh, uh, a, a, a consistent guy that I would depend on in the playoffs. Got you. All right, Mo, before we let you go here, it is trade deadline week. Uh, let's not hit the star level guys. Let's leave the DeJounte Murray, Zach Levine types out of it. You're a film room guy. Is there a more under the radar player that you would like to see moved at the deadline that you think could really help a team, but isn't going to maybe grab the Murray Levine level headlines? Well, I already did the Jakob Pertle one with yeah. you guys, so that one. But I think uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is going to be a guy. Listen, it's going to be wing guys. Yeah, Dorian Finney-Smith, Kyle Kuzma. Um, those are the types of guys that I think will will help a contender if they get moved to the right spot. And I think it's um, not the high-level star stuff. I think those are the names that when they get moved, you're going to be like, oh, wow, they landed there. Like, that's a good move. That's a good pickup for them. And I think that would be the the types of names I'd keep an eye on. Um, can we circle back on the Acapurto thing? Yeah. You want, you want to workshop that a little bit? So for Your for, show, man. We got time. For a team like OKC. Davis Bertans, Poku's expiring contract uh, to make the money work cleanly and then throw yeah. some picks my way, yeah. I mean, first off, not looking forward to seeing either of those guys in the Raptors. I know they're in a they're in a tough spot, but I I don't think they're. Poku nine hundred five is going to go crazy though. Goodness, yeah. You know what? Yeah, might, might as well. Sure, uh, go ahead. But yeah, I mean, what other can we? I, I guess I would like a prospect from theirs rather than just getting like, like what's the best prospect I can realistically get back in there? Can I get Casey Wallace? Is, Jang, is, maybe? is that way too much? Just a hard no. They're not, they're not giving no. you Wallace. No, what about Usman Jang? Do you think they they didn't like? Is that too fringy? I mean, I think for them, they would just go, okay, the price is too high. Like, this is the problem with the, That's with the, the price amount of too, assets. Usman the, the, the amount of, the amount oh, of assets they have, they can kind of just go like, no, we'll just, we're, we're good. We'll just roll with what we have, and what? then we'll make an adjustment in the offseason. Like, I don't, it's, with God. Presti of all guys, like yeah. I think uh, a Presti Masai Ujiri uh, <laughs> trade call would is probably one of the worst calls you could probably be on. No. Like the yeah. amount of like stalemate between the two of them, you know, not walking away from the inch. table over Lindy Waters the third. <laughs> right. Like, you know, there's uh, going to be, you know, it's no. going to be like a, a, a stare down in a way where it's like, okay, I don't know 
you know, who's going to blink first. And I think that's probably one of the harder things to get a deal done. I mean, there could be a deal done, though. That's the thing. They have so many pieces, but, I mean, that's how they got to this point in the first the thing, place. And the thing the Thunder are going to think is, oh, yeah, we've got so many pieces. We could go somewhere else. Uh, yeah, you right. could go somewhere else, I suppose. Yeah. But as Masai said, you know, Jakob's a top 10 center. You know, <laughs> it's always worth it to trade a first-round pick for a starting-level center. Um, hopefully, there's an opportunity there. If not, I don't know, man. The helpful- like, by the way, if the Raptors trade Jakob Proto, we might win, like, 10 games next year. Yeah. Like I said, it's pretty tough. The helpful thing about any of these <laughs> scenarios no is that, like, man. like with so many of the Bruce Brown scenarios we're going we're gonna to yeah. kick around and have kicked around, it's hard to make the salary math work without making the acquiring team like lose a, a piece, but like the Thunder have Davis. This is why Thunder and Knicks are so easy to do this for. Yeah. They have Davis yeah. Bertans and they have Evan Fournier. Yeah. It's it's a human trade exception. There you go. Right. A human trade exception. Um, Mo, I appreciate and you. And Poku. And Poku. Yeah, the, the human G League trade exception. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mo, I appreciate you for joining us on the program. Anything you want to plug before you go? Uh, just stay tuned to everything, you know, on my Twitter feed uh, Articles at The Athletic, Bleacher Report, Podcast, Nerder She Wrote, part of The Athletic NBA Show. Um, yeah, that's really just kind of staying locked in that way. You everywhere, man. Go read X's and Mo's. Such a great name. <laughs> stop stop about the Jimmy's and Joe's. All right, yeah. we're going to take another break. Let Mo go. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. We're going to go around the NBA, me and Blake Murphy. Uh, but before we go around the NBA and talk about teams like the Cavs, like the, the you know the Warriors, the Clippers, the Celtics, uh, things like that, um, like you just recently dropped another mailbag. Which, by the way, I gotta commend you, man. The turnaround time on this was absurd because I saw the tweet go around last night. You know, hey, I'm gonna write a mailbag. You know, send me some questions. Blah blah blah. I'm sure you got like a hundred. And then, like, this morning, it's already done and up on sportsnet.ca. So, well done, Blake. Yeah, thanks to everyone who sent questions in. I got, I think, 79 of them. They didn't all get answered. This is, like, back in the Raptors Republic days, I would answer yeah. every single question. Yeah, and the mailbags would be, like, 8,000 words. Uh, if I do that here or if I had done that at the Athletic when I worked there, I would have got fired. So, uh, <laughs> I had to be a little bit more selective. Also, rare uh-huh. rare for me to post the cat on Maine, but uh, I, I did uh, I did that as well. Wow, you, you're putting uh, your cat on Maine? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke you think I'm going to make. Good. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, do yeah, it. so thank you to everyone who sent questions in. Didn't mm-hmm. get to all of them. I tried to focus on the deadline-related ones, but I want to throw some of them at right. you, Will. Go ahead. Who's getting traded and for what? That's that's, uh, most that's the of, whole question. That's most oh, of the mailbag okay. questions. Who's getting traded for uh, what? No. Um, okay, so let's start with this one. This Bruce is an Brown exact... getting traded for some piece on the Lakers. Okay, so this is... Uh, let's frame it this way rank the likelihood of guys getting traded. So Bruce mm. Brown, Chris Boucher, Dennis Schroeder, Gary Trent were the main four. Thad and Otto are kind of their own thing off to the side, but I'll throw some Thad and Otto yeah. stuff at you as well. Thad and Otto are like the, you know, if we need to make salaries work or something yeah. like that, or maybe we like jump in on a three-way deal, kind of like, you know. Um, Someone gets desperate, has a trade exception. Here's a future second, like a, a light yeah. second. No offense to those guys. Yeah. Um, that had been balling though. Bruce, I would probably say 75%. Okay. Um, I would say Chris, based on A, your reporting, 
B, Doug Smith also saying it, but also C, the fact that he wasn't used in so many of these games recently. Um, it's got to be pretty high as well. But let's say like I think 60. other people have reported it as well now too. Yeah. So let's say, you know, 65. Other people okay. have bumped another 5 percentage points on there. Dennis, I think probably like I would say less likely than than like less than 50-50. Like mm-hmm. maybe like 30% yeah. kind of thing. Like if a great deal comes, like what, what does Minnesota have to put on the table for you to be like, let me get, let me get rid of Dennis. Drew. Okay, so we'll do that in a second. Fin- okay. Finish your thought on the rankings okay. here, but I, I do have a Minnesota. And then Gary, um, I don't know. I mean, what are you going to, if, if you're not getting a first round pick for Gary, I'd rather hold on to him, keep his bird rights. So let's say 25. Yeah, Gary is still the hardest for me to read. Yeah. Like uh, it was hard to read. Like last year at the deadline, I thought he was the likeliest to go and then yeah. they decided to buy instead. Right. And then everyone thought he was opting out and he picked up his option instead to, to try to kind of bet on himself. And then there were reports that he was signing an extension and I was hearing the exact opposite. Um, so I I'm still I still can't get a read mm-hmm. on how much this team actually likes Gary Longstorm, but I'm with you. I, I think he's yeah. young enough and the bird rights are valuable enough that if you don't get the offer you're looking for, um, you, you just take it out. But okay, so let's focus on Bruce Brown, Chris Boucher, and Dennis Schroeder then. Okay. So the Schroeder, there's, there's uh, John Krasinski reporting that the, the Timberwolves are monitoring Dennis Schroeder, among some yeah. other options. It's hard to make salary math work with the Timberwolves because they're, first of all, longer term, they're headed deep into the like into the apron. So mm-hmm. they're not going to want to add much long-term salary. And Dennis is owed his, his full contract for next year at 13 yeah. million. Um, and you're not getting Naz Reed, who's the one guy who makes the, the contract math work. I also, sorry to some people who asked this specific one on Twitter, I don't think you're getting Leonard Biller. Like they could have just signed Dennis Schroeder as a mid-level free agent. Yeah, in sure. the offseason, it's okay. tough Tough to see you getting a first-round pick, like a, a guy who was a first-round pick out of it. Didn't Leonard, he slid in the did second. He, well, he, he slid in the second. Yeah, I know maybe. the Raptors definitely like Leonard Miller. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but unfortunately, there were injury concerns with Leonard around the yeah. time of the draft. And so oh, right, he, he went he 33rd. Out. Yeah, that's why he slid. But I think there's clearly a talent there. Um, again, somebody that the Raptors have been known and made aware of. Like, basically, if you play in the like, – yeah, whatever. Um, in any case, if, if I can't get him – yeah, like, he's been good in the G League. Are they going to give him Nikhil? I don't think so. No. So, so here, like, here's I don't the, even know what else I really want. So here's the unsexy deal that I, that I came up with. Okay. Um, Dennis Schroeder and Jalen McDaniels. So you get out of McDaniels second year and you All reunite right. the brothers. Oh, now we're talking. But this is what you're getting back. And this is mostly just to make the salary mac fork and yeah. take back next year's salary so okay. that the Wolves aren't too deep in attack. You get Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton, Jordan McLaughlin, and Utah's 2025 second. No, I'm good. That's that's the best I could come up with for Minnesota because I don't think you're getting Naz or Nikhil. It's definitely enough for me, dog. Yeah, no, no way, man. Wow. Um, yeah, let's just hold on to Dennis. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, on the Chris Boucher side. Yeah. Let me throw this one at you. So we have a. I don't think anyone has said specifically Dallas is interested in Chris Boucher, but Dallas is interested in guys who sound like Chris Boucher description yeah. wise. Long, tall fours. Would you flip him for Rashawn Holmes? Rashawn Holmes makes a little bit more than Boucher and has a player option for next year, but you get your own 2025 second round pick back. Like Dallas owns Toronto's 2025 second. So you figure you're probably going to be not great next year. You get your own second back. How do they even have our second? I don't even understand. Um, I think the Spurs traded it to them. Okay. And something else. Sure. Um, I got to take on Rashawn Holmes who can't get minutes for the, the Mavericks. Uh, I mean, if you basically you're saying I'm I'm dead set on get rid of Chris. Basically, you pick up, you get your own second back, which is yeah. going to be in the 30s next year probably. To basically to turn Boucher into Holmes. Holmes makes a little bit more, but the contract runs the same length. 
value wise, I can see it understanding, but I'm gonna too close to Chris. No, yeah, oh, man. boy William. Yeah, that's my boy, man. That's my boy Chris. Yeah. You want me to trade him for Rashawn Holmes? No. You know what? No, actually, no. <laughs> On principle alone, because again, you stop him for another year. Yeah. I mean, you, I suppose you can move him as an expiring salary. I mean, the, the second round pick, the it doesn't appeal to me as much because again, the Raptors have so many picks right now that like it's not realistic that all of them are going to come in. Of course, that is definitely a value added if you're going to have a, 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 your own pick that's going to be like maybe 35, 36 or something in that range. But yeah, I don't know, man. Damn, we really developed Chris, and then now we're just moving him for bad money and our own pick to come back in the second round. Yeah, it's a it's wow. a tough one. But like, I, I don't. I, mean, I guess we're I not even using him. Like, I, realistically, that is the value based right. on the way you use him this year. For yeah, sure. like he he got two DMP CDs in a row, and yeah, you pick right. up a, a pick of the, like the oh, other oh, year. But that's Rashawn Holmes' go to play. The the other year they traded Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis for uh-huh. like mid second rounders, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah, right, yeah. Um, okay, so. Um, Otto or Thad for literally any second. Like a team's like, hey, oh, we'll yeah, take him into the trade. Otto, trade Otto for any second, top okay. 55, yeah. protected, um, yeah. let's go. Otto's a bio candidate if he doesn't get traded, right? Like like they're sure. they're sending him to a contender via bio. They should. Okay. Bye, Felicia. Wow. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Derek. So uh, a Bruce Brown one <laughs> uh-huh. to throw at you. Okay. And so Zach Lowe on the low post that I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. um, but he was on and said something along the lines of like, hey, the, the Sixers are still – Operating as if Embiid will be back for the playoffs, yep, but yep. his opinion is he wouldn't be surprised if they if the win now dial got turned down just a little bit with the Embiid uh, question mark. It's a huge variable, of course it would be. Yeah, Bruce Brown for Marcus Morris to make the salary math work. Mm-hmm. You pick up Jaden Springer in a twenty twenty six second. They don't have a lot of draft. Like they're not. I don't think they're giving you. Okay. Uh, hmm. Interesting. You like Springer, right? He's he's he's. I like Springer a lot defensively. Yeah, he's he's defensive player. Got some athleticism to him. Got He's got pop. almost nothing offensively right now, but yeah. you could you could maybe find your way. This is this is really your type. Yeah, it is this my is type, man. type, man. It this is my be, type. This should be in your like uh, your Tinder profile, your Bumble profile. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for six five uh, guard skills. Yeah, uh, find find me on oriented. there at uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's not a lot. You could probably do better yeah. than, than that for I, Bruce Brown, but it, it gets tough to make the salary math work. No, I hear you. I hear you. Philadelphia. Like, would you I rather, think I'd rather call the Lakers. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I like the Lakers guys better. Okay, what about... Okay, so you like the Lakers guys better than the Springer and a, a future yeah. second. What about Lakers guys versus you could get Fournier and you get one of the first, but it's like it's not the best of the first. Like, you're not getting Washington's first that's I'd, not I'd that's protected that. until 2027. I'd rather do that. Yeah. You'd rather get the first? Yeah. Okay. And um, only reason for that is just because one of those distant future firsts, like, things could change. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It might yeah. look bad now, but it might be better later, you know. Yeah. I don't um, know. Here's a bit of a weird one, but Damn, the Raptors have Pascal for this. The Raptors have nine right. million in wiggle room under the tax. Yep. They also have a big trade exception. Mm-hmm. They could just take money back from someone sure. to help them out with the tax. Yeah, bill. yeah, yeah. Nasir Little's not playing for Phoenix I, at I'm all. Sure. He's, he's only I'm happy tw- with that. He's only 23 years old. He's yeah. got a long term contract, but only at like six, seven million yeah. a year. Would you take him just for the Suns absolutely. would save like 25 million dollars? No, I, absolutely. Okay, I would. Yeah. That's another way to use the kind of cap flexibility mm. uh, that you've built here. Um, sure. Yeah. So yeah. that was, uh, those are my kind of trade scenarios okay. for you. All right. Um, so I walked out of this with some fringy person on the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, maybe Rashawn Holmes and a, your own second round pick. Yeah. 
uh, and maybe you get Nasir Little for free, which yeah. I, I mean, that's look, the problem one I'm happiest about. There but. are a million ideas that yeah, you could yeah, throw. Sure, I'm, I'm sure. just giving you some. I'm trying to basically set the market where, yeah, like, yeah. I, some obviously this time of year, some of the things I get sent are like, right. you could pick up Lowry Markkinen for Bruce Brown and nothing else. Like, no, that's yeah. not happening. Like, you can... Or, or like you get Nas. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, and you can't get Nas Reed for Dennis Schroeder. I'd be. I'd very much I'd be, doubt that. I would try my first I'd, I'd ever backflip live on the show if yeah, they if they, they would do walk that. into our starting lineup. Sorry, Yak. I'm sorry, but um, um, so here's a, another question that came up a couple times that I'll throw at you. And this right. isn't this isn't specific to a player, but the Raptors now have a little extra draft capital. Mm-hmm. Let's say a team wanted Bruce Brown or wanted Gary Trent Jr. or something like that, and was willing to include a good young player, but you got to attach draft capital to. Dennis or Chris or Gary or okay. whoever it is. Is that something you'd be open to or is that too quick a turnaround from, you know, hey, we're rebuilding and we got to take a longer view here? It obviously depends on who the young player yeah. is, but I'm not opposed to it. Again, the Raptors hold potentially four first round or four picks in this mm-hmm. year's draft. Um, they hold Detroit's first second round pick, which is most likely going to be the 31st pick. By the way, are you ready to wait a whole day to, to see the second round? Because the, the NBA split the draft into two parts. Are you excited to go back to OVO the next day? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to get to Brooklyn, man, or New oh, Jersey or wherever they're going to hold oh, the yeah, second yeah. day. Yeah, catch my man at Stakakis. Um yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I probably would because again, they they hold what uh, two picks, Indiana's pick, mm-hmm. the other pick that they got back from Indiana in the first round, that's probably going to be the Clippers pick. Yeah. So it's probably going to be like 27th, maybe even 28th style of pick. Uh, and then the Raptors, honestly, at this rate, look like they have a strong possibility, maybe better than 50% of holding their own pick at the end of the draft. Yeah, so if they got to sixth last, they would have a 46. Wait, we're still not sixth last? After... Uh, no, they are, you are now. Oh, okay, you good, are. Good, as, good. If, as if I don't cover the team, too. They're they're now a game worse than the Grizzlies. <laughs> Man, trying to distance um, himself from the brand. Yeah, so I believe that would give you, if I'm remembering uh, right, a 46% chance at keeping your pick. Oh, God. Wow, that's... Top six protection. That was irresponsible. Only two games behind the Blazers now in the reverse standings. Though. I thought you you think if you called the 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 cat or the 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 Spurs again last year and you were like top six we can't do but we'll give you top ten. You think the Spurs are really walking in from a top ten pick? No. Look at all the other stuff they got. Yeah, they would have been like ah fine. You know what I mean? Like yeah. dude, the top six in in a. It's so hard. You basically need to have one of the two they worst really, records in the league. They really to ensure did that you think, can keep though. That pick. Yeah, they really did think they weren't going to be bad this year, though, right? Like that's yeah, the I, that's the thing. I get it. Um, okay, this is uh, you can choose kind of the the asset or the player here. Oh, choose would your you, own adventure. Would you give up anything Goosebumps. to get Nick Claxton and have his bird rights versus just chasing him in unrestricted free agency this summer? Sorry, give me that again. Sorry. So Nick Claxton, yeah, apparent like reportedly some degree of available from mm, the Nets, mm-hmm. the unrestricted free agent after the summer. Would you give up something to get him in now, see him a little bit, have his bird rights versus just trying to sign him in the offseason? I'm not talking a big guy. You're yeah. not you're not getting a first to do that. I don't know. Yak got that. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I mean, look, we'll get over that. Maybe never. Um, but. No, nah, I think I'd probably just rather take my chances yeah. in, in free agency. I think the, the thing that's tricky there is you bring him in, you essentially tell Jakob, hey, you're going to the bench, which essentially you're compounding with like, yeah. and by the way, Jakob is not a bench center. Like no. he is a starting level center. So you're putting him in a bad position. You're seeing if he fits, you know, and of course, once you attach that pick to get him, you're like essentially completely committed to re-signing him. You've given up a lot of your own leverage in that. It's fine if it's like the Pacers giving up some picks for Pascal because A, Pascal probably wasn't going to just sign there up in free agency anyway, but also B, the price is the price. You're going to pay the max for him. 
Yeah. It's not so much fun when you pay the first for Jacoperto, and now you're absolutely dead on committed to re-signing Jacoperto for the highest price. You're, you're committing yourself to overbidding everyone else. So you might as well just not commit yourself and then bid what you feel like is a good amount in free agency. So probably no. Yeah, I think... Uh, I also with, don't need to see Nick Claxton fit, quote-unquote, in Toronto. Like, yeah. I, I know what he does. I'd also... I kind of think you'd then move on from Yak if you really believed Claxton was a fit. Or, sure, like, yeah, you, you, might, you, yeah, you might. I, you I might. don't want to do the thing where, like, you can't have two good players uh, on mm. a team. But, like, yes. yeah, at some point you would probably... I mean, at some point they're probably going to explore o- over the life of Yak's deal. At some point anyway. Okay, uh, let's pivot do a little bit around the NBA stuff. All right, cool. Um, the Cavaliers are 14-1 and one yeah. in their last 15 games. If you go to the NBA standings page right now, it is crazy how many teams are red. The Knicks just lost, so yeah. they're 9-1 and one in their last 10. The Cavs are 9-1 and one in their last 10, have won six in a row, and have won 14 of 15. The Clippers have won nine of their last 10. Um how are the Cavs getting this done? Like they're they're getting back to health now, but even a healthy Cavs team, I believed in the defense. I don't know if I yeah. believed you're going to go on a 14 and one run and be the number two team in the East right now. Well, obviously, the number one reason is Alvin Mitchell. The number two reason is Jared Allen. The number three reason is nobody has any idea how they're this good. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Merrill is like stealing the ball and then pulling up for three over top of like long defenders. He hasn't missed a shot. I remember even seeing him in summer league, and I was like damn, Raptors lost to the Cavs in Summer League. It's going to be tough for Grady Dick because he got outplayed by Sam Merrill. Guess what? Sam Merrill is just, like, apparently good now. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Irrelevant, man. number 60 pick in the draft. Really? Yeah. That's a great story, man. That's a really great story. Number 60 in the draft and also number 60 in the Pokedex for Mr. Merrill. <laughs> and there's a Pokemon named Merrill. Sure, anyway, I, fi- I figured. Yeah, but 44, I have no idea how they're doing 44.3% this, on threes. Um, Dwayne Wade is also, or Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wade, Dean Wade has also become a pretty good shooter at like Jesus 40%. Paying LeBron, yeah. He's paying Dean Wade. At maybe Alex's favorite tweet of mine of all time. Um, <laughs> he's become 40% from three, but uh, like, this isn't a good three point shooting team dude, overall no other sense. than those guys. Well, I mean, you, you do have Struis who's, a, you know, the threat to move and yeah, he had that 20 point quarter against the Raptors yeah. didn't make the top but he's five only, worst losses, by the way. He's only at 34% of the season though. From uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause he takes a lot of contested movement yeah. ones. Merrill has not missed like pretty much since coming into the league now in the rotation. I don't know, man. They're just they're uh, again to think they're one loss away from the the you know Sergeant Baca's scarf essentially. Yeah, fourteen yeah. and one is absurd, yeah. but I have no idea. Sixteenth uh, in offense, but second in defense. The defense obviously, I think, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Offensively, it's a lot of Mitchell like carrying them. Like he's scoring forty whenever he wants now. Yeah. Um, the Warriors last night made a lot of news. So number one, they won a game when they only made four threes. Yeah, look, the news was they won a game. <laughs> The news is that they won a game. Um, the funny thing was after Steph made a huge three down the stretch there to essentially clinch the game for uh, the Warriors. You've heard that one before. The Nets crowd going nuts, like absolutely wild, as if it was a crowd at uh, Chase Center. It's like, look, we've got a Valentine's Day home game coming up. It was very reminiscent of Jeremy Lin here on yeah, Valentine's exactly. Day during Lin Sanity, where everyone was just like, no, we're Jeremy Lin fans today. Yeah, and by everyone, you mean like all of Markham was in the building? I was in the building. You were in the building? I was a season seat holder then. Really? Yeah. I was on a date on Valentine's Day for that game. You're like, hey, Shorty, you want to come see the Raptors (laughs) give up a game winner in an all-time Asian-American moment? You want (laughs) to see me yell about pick-and-roll coverages going under against Jeremy Lin when he's this hot? You're Rick Carlisle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, anyway, Steph does the walk off interview, by the way, with the Nets broadcast, which is so funny. Like, yo, whose game was this? Was this a Warriors game or a Nets game? But yeah, anyway, um the the post game quotes from from Clay Thompson though. He did he so he was benched once again. He was benched um when they played the Grizzlies last week as well. And he said, quote, Are you kidding me? You go from, you know, one of the best players, 
you know, to this, basically, it's hard for anybody. Um, do you feel bad for Clay Thompson? It's hard not to. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little bit bad for him because, like, the way things work now is that, like, it's immediately, you know, let's forget what you did and and – yeah, it, okay. it's it's a cruel business, and like that's what the money's for, et cetera. Um, it's tough though, man. It's got to be like you were thought for a very, very long time that you were a part of this core that would never leave, mm-hmm. and you win a bunch of rings together, which you've done, and you yeah. have a statue after and things like that. But unfortunately, he's the guy who declined right as free agency was coming, yeah. and as this team clearly needs an injection yeah. of some sort. And look, it's not like Draymond hasn't gone through his things this year either. Um, but it's tough, man. And like, it's also probably got to be tough as an athlete to still feel like you are that guy. And like, hey, bad Clay Thompson is still shooting 37% Dude, on threes. A bad Clay Thompson is averaging 17 right now. I'm just yeah. saying. Like, shooting 37% on threes. Yeah. Um, and he takes at least five bad threes a game. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder so. if he's feeling a little bit yeah. scapegoated, a little bit uh, where like there's. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's a new scapegoat every week. It really is. They got a whole farm of goats. Well, now that Draymond has stopped punching people, yeah. uh, he's no longer the scapegoat. But... And Draymond's back to being the plus-minus god. I mean, yeah. he's really important to their success. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows this. But... Um, so I feel a little bit bad for Clay. Yeah. It's also like like he had the knee and the Achilles injury. So like this, back to back. This he got hurt, remember, in just, This isn't just he's 33 and declining. Yeah. It's like you've tried to hold on and fight back and things like that. So I, I do feel for him a little bit. Um, but this is the game, man. Hey, this is the game. You're right. Um, I appreciate his transparency, too. That's the thing, yeah. too. It's like, I, I like that Clay is open enough and secure enough in his legacy to talk about how much it feels so terrible for him right now to drop off from that. But it happens to everybody, man. And and I, if, when people think back on Clay, I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be, you know, he's going to have tons of money in his career. He's going to be living out on a yacht. Like, he's going to be good. I mean, in the meantime, though, it's got to be difficult to fall off from that level. Because, again... It's always the Splash Brothers. You don't even hear Splash Brothers no more. It's just that. No. You know what I mean? And I think that that part's also difficult, too. But speaking of that part, Patrick Mahomes, um, <laughs> who I guess you do a lot of media for the Super Bowl. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, if I played basketball, I'd be just like Steph Curry. So um, I'm like a novice NFL fan, as in I've watched just the Super Bowls. So I know, obviously, who Pat Mahomes is because I've seen him there before. But, yeah, I mean. Explain this comp to me and just explain Pat Mahomes to me as a general NFL fan. So, first of all, Mahomes is, if not the best quarterback in the league, top two quarterback. It's him It's him and Lamar Jackson. So, okay. um, he's also... I haven't, a, seen, him in the, a ton I haven't of, seen him in the Super Bowl. Sorry. It's, uh, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> say, but know. basically, the best way I can describe it is uh-huh. the twos versus threes in the NBA and run versus pass in the NFL yeah. have kind of followed the same path on a similar timeline where passing so runs vo- as twos pass. No, no, just like passing volume has increased in the okay, modern okay. era. Got you, and got at you. first it was like an analytic thing, but then it was like, no, this just makes more sense. Like mm. you can cover seven, eight, 15 yards with a pass in the way you can't with the run. You're, you're going through more three, four yards at a right. time. Okay. So the way that passing volume has taken on a bigger importance and what Kansas city has really done. Uh, and so Mahomes and Curry have that parallel. And then stylistically, Kansas City really pioneered a faster pace of play where not only are we mm. going to pass, okay. but we're going to pass, 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 pass down your throat. And like you you don't have time to catch up and your defense is gassed by the end of every drive. And we we don't care about controlling the clock that much. We want to run it on you. And that, so you. I think that's where he kind of sees the parallels. Um, in addition to, yeah, he's got he's he's headed for uh, another ring here, you know. So what, what, which one would this be if they win again this weekend? I have to double check. Is that is that four now for him? 
He has uh, he has two champs. Oh, so this would be three rings wow. for him. So he's one shy of Steph if he wins this one. Yes. Okay. But he's also like uh, he's still only twenty eight, which for a quarterback is pretty. Right. Well, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to watch the Super Bowl. You got Super Bowl plans, real quick? Yeah, I'm watch with my brothers. Oh, sounds great. You gonna enjoy Usher at halftime? Usher. I can't wait, man. A <laughs> town. Peace out. All right, uh, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please review the show. Thanks once again to producers Mark Balfour, Amemon. Producers uh, Derek Randale, Jennifer Olnick, David Sis, Jared Manitat. Thanks to our guest, Moda Keel. We'll be back to talk Raptors basketball tomorrow.